We have a very special guest. You know him as TV film writer Evan Ball. What's up, man? Hello, man. Happy to be back. It's been been a while, so I'm happy to be here with you and have a good time talking all the fun nerdiness. That's right. I'll try to I'll try to keep the pandemic going, the pandemic live streams going. <laughs> well, I hope hopefully not the uh, the pandemic itself. My, my my camera just went out. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, I've got no signal. <laughs> Hold on a second. This is okay. We're and we're back. Uh, yeah. So Evan, man, uh, it's been a minute. So I want to catch up with you. Yes. What's been going on? What's been going on with you? Well, it's pandemic. So uh, as much as I've been working very hard, the business has slowed down a little bit. So right. let's see. Uh, I remember, okay, so I had worked on season one of Titans. I worked on season one of Stargirl. I moved away from that and worked on um, adapting like a, a book, this African fantasy novel that I'm actually still literally I had a, a pre-pitch meeting today. Cause we're going to take that out to buyers. Hopefully um, I worked on Colin in black and white on Netflix. Um, so that did really well for us at the end of last That's year. Right. That's I right. Think, it was trending like I number think, one for a while. Yeah, we did. We did really well. I think we, we, we may have peaked at six, something like that. It was, I mean, we, okay. it was good. And you know, award consideration and stuff like that. So like you, you're happy when people are excited about your stuff. We were on a lot of like uh, those in 2021 that you have to see type thing. That was really good. And then right now, you know, since the, since it's the new year and we're getting ready to head into pilot season and all that, a lot of the new shows are starting to ramp up and think about hiring. So I'm taking meetings for where we're doing this year. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, Yeah, I guess I did see Colin on the front page of Netflix. Didn't know the position it ended up at. So you're busy. You're busy all the time. Uh, I stay busy as much as I can, dude. As much as my wallet will allow me, uh, I will will take, I will take the work. The thing is like, it's so interesting because coming uh, in this industry, you're always juggling back and forth between taking the jobs that you need to pay all the bills, but also like, is there a way you can be selective about the jobs you take to shape your career toward a particular direction? Um, so that, that's kind of what I've been juggling. And so I ended up turning some stuff down last year that toward the end of the year, when things I had worked on, I ended up getting picked up and not going forward. Yeah. Right. I use that paycheck. But again, yeah. now it's the new year. You just get back on the train and start, you know, trying to figure out what the next gig is. Yeah. I mean, and you've been pretty fortunate. It sounds like also you said to me the other day that you have not set foot in an actual <laughs> Uh, writer's room, it like, but you know, you're doing the Zoom calls, right? You're, you're, but yeah. it's been so how long? We, um, the last time I was physically in a room was March of 2020, okay. and that's wow. like right when everything started shutting down, right? Like I remember specifically, we were, we may have been in the office when the big announcement came from the NBA that they were canceling games that night and all that. And everybody was like, Oh shit, this is real. Yeah. My bad. If I need to no, keep the language down. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. And so I think the next week we went home and I haven't been back, not a single meeting, not a single room. Everything's been over zoom. So I've, I've been home and as you know, it's a blessing and a curse. It's nice to be home and, and kind of working your own pace and schedule when you can, but it's also, you know, I really miss being in a writer's room and spending time with people and, because so much of the work that you do uh, while you're off task, I think, does really help enrich in the stuff that you end up doing when you're on task. You get to know people and kind of get a sense for what their what their interests are, where they came from, their background, and all that. And when it's on a Zoom, you're just you're you're so focused. You don't really yeah. get to have as many of those conversations, so you don't get to be like, "Oh, weren't you saying something about blah blah blah, blah back over there about a water cooler?" <laughs> Don't you think that could apply here? And then, like, you get some really right. cool ideas. Like, there's fine. like a whole, di- yeah. There's like a whole like dynamic of like shower thoughts and stuff, <laughs> like kind of <laughs> exactly. Like the weird thing is, I get weird on Zoom. Like, I get I do this show every day, but I'm like, I feel weird being on screen because then when I start talking, I'm like the only one on screen, and everybody's looking at me. <laughs> I don't know. There's like a weird psychological block I got going on with that. But uh, hey, well, is this will? Well, go ahead. Shout out. Just shouting out to Is This Will. He's in the chat. Is This Will, if you got a question for Evan Ball, because we were talking last night, 
with Will especially about uh, George Lucas and and the book of what what you call it uh, Mandalorian. <laughs> so yeah, um, what were you gonna say? Oh man, I don't remember, but I'm happy to talk about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one, I really enjoyed the Mandalorian, and two, uh, I have many a thought on book of Boba Fett. It's been it's, it's been an interesting ride so far. Right. Catch, so catch what, me up a little bit, a little. Well, explainer. first of all, I'm sure we'll get, we'll get to that, and then we'll get super in depth. But I want to I want to get your take on what do you think the best writing has been uh, on TV right now, and obviously Ooh. the movies just got the, the Oscar nominations today. So what are, what yeah. are your thoughts on that? Well, that's God. That's always such a hard one because it's funny because questions like that come up like it almost all the general meetings and things you do when you're just getting to know execs. They're like, Oh, what are you watching right now? What do you think is great? What would you write on? And there are literally 10 billion things out right now. There's 500 networks and streaming services and all that stuff. And so I'm, I've never caught up on any of it. Um, it was so funny because I was just, it is, it really is. I was talking about euphoria the other day, um, with, with my girlfriend and how, uh, I thought season one of Euphoria was incredibly strong, and season two felt like it was going off the rails a little bit, and I couldn't understand what they were doing because it felt like whatever the main thread of season one was had been a little bit lost in season two. Right. And okay. then I just saw this last episode, episode five, I think, that just premiered Everybody's on chatting about that. I saw it was trending. Like, I don't know it. I haven't seen it yet, even though <laughs> shout out to my friend Bruce Wexler, who plays Zendaya's dad in the show. Okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, but he's actually I've I've known Bruce since 2005, um, which is uh-huh. hilarious because now he's 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 working. And uh, so I, I remember I ran into him last year and I was like, dude, I run into him. See, see I run into him at auditions because we both got curly hair. <laughs> so, like. <laughs> That's so, a pretty distinct casting call. Two or three times a year, we're just like we bump into each other. We're like we catch up at the in the casting room. So the last time I saw him, I was like, "So you're gonna be in season two? What's going on?" <laughs> and uh, yeah, turns out he's he's in like flashbacks, I guess. But uh, yeah, I saw today everything was trending about Euphoria. I haven't seen it, but you're saying people seem to be outraged. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like, what's well, look? It's a show. It- Euphoria is a show that is very intentionally like hyper real, right? And it's it's not just in its situations that are like off the wall bonkers, but in its visual presentation, it wants you to know that you're having this kind of wild experience when you're watching the show. So, you know, I, I think there's there's a way you watch Euphoria that is not like it's not a documentary, it's not a regular grounded drama. It is a stancified, hyper-realistic. It's almost like the whole show is a drug trip. Mm-hmm. And so you got to see it through that lens. Um, gotcha. But yeah, I, I thought this last episode was incredible. You'll see, Everybody's going to be talking about Zendaya getting another Emmy for it and well-deserved. Nice. She's incredible. She and really the, the, the ability for that show to write um, really tense situations and kind of mm-hmm. build up to it in ways. Cause like it has its moments where it's just like playful and fun and it's doing things. And you're just like, these are just kids acting wild. And then it has its moments where it just really nails some super tense situation. And that's the stuff you see a lot of people talking about it, where the memes come around or whatever uh, of this person. I'm trying to like not have spoilers now. I know. But, uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. Cause I will, I will. Those, those, those situations when, when they hit, like you're on the edge of your seat and it's, that's some of the best stuff on TV period. That's dope. And Zendaya really is dope. I, I mean, we could talk about Spider-Man in a little bit, but uh, what she was really good in the, the latest Spider-Man movie. I was like, dang, she upped her game probably for working on TV for the last couple of years or at least doing a, like a really intense show like that. But uh, let's see. Question that's for Evan. Gave her more to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like if you give her more, give her something to chew on, looks like she's she goes for it. So, uh, yeah, I was really impressed with just her performance in like the biggest movie ever that came out the other the right. other couple months ago. It's crazy. It's crazy stuff. It's it's nuts. Question for Evan and Ari: Are you fans of Clint Eastwood uh, 
the uh, what's that got the, the Maricone? What's the, what's what's the, I'm not sure. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. Yes, the, the Clinton uh, Eastwood westerns, um, like the drifter really talking reference about in... the Sergio Leone ones. He yes, was talking yes, about Ennio Marconi, who does a lot of the yes. music stuff like that. Like, yeah, th- those. I think you, as somebody who is a fan of of sci-fi and of kind of epic hero-focused cinema. The Clint Eastwood Westerns, like, mandatory studying for that. Right. And, you know, they all go about in a slightly different way, but they give you epic scale. They give you determined characters and fascinating characters. They give you, like, pretty easy-to-understand stakes. They give you characters who are, like, a force of nature themselves. Great villains. Man, they're super fun. That I I'm also a fan, you know. I remember when I was a kid, there was like every night it was the Man with No Name series. Like each night was a different movie, um, mm-hmm. and I was like committed. I was like, I, I want, and I was like ten or eleven or twelve or something. Like that. And I was just like, I'm gonna watch each one of these because I know the significance. I know that they're important, and I I really liked them. I dug them. They're intense, and again, like you said, it's very easy to to understand stakes. And good guy, bad guy, white hat, black hat. And yeah, and I think he's trying to, he, he's segueing that into the book of Boba Fett. I don't know if you saw the last, the most recent episode. Now, yes. you had the drifter <laughs> walk into town. Blue face <laughs> McGee. <laughs> I don't know what his his character name was, but. Uh, uh, what did, Cad, what why can't of? I think of it? Cad, Cad, Cad Bane. Cad, Cad Bane. Bane, there we go. Cad Bane, yeah. Um, yeah, dude, um, Book of Boba Fett's been interesting because it feels, uh, I'm really struggling with it in a way that it feels like this character that I've known to love for a long time, that's been known as being the kind of most ruthless, the most like kind of Machiavellian, um, a bounty hunter, feared bounty hunter in all the galaxy. I'm watching his retirement and watching him try to now become the moral center, the moral center of a story when I'm not used to him being that character. So I'm like, it's, it's tough for me to wrap my brain around that given that I have 30 plus years of love and enjoyment of Boba Fett outside of this. And I also think that makes sense. People are resonating so much more with the Mandalorian um, in these last two episodes, because he's somebody like who is existing in the context that we understand him. Because we just met him a year ago or whatever that was a year or two ago, so it feels it feels cohesive when we go back to the Mandalorian and we're seeing him talk about Grogu and we're seeing him, you know, handle mm-hmm. bandits and the way he handles bandits and you know revisiting his own characters in this kind of Western style that we ha- we just haven't seen Boba Fett as the I want to yeah. sit at home and treat people well and be a benevolent ruler. Like that's a weird thing for me to. You know. <laughs> yeah, to me, Boba Fett serves that niche of Empire Strikes Back. This mysterious bounty hunter who's like, you know, I gotta bring this guy to Java. You know, this is the I think one of the worst additions to uh, the special edition of Star Wars: A New Hope. And I'm not sure if we talked about this, but you know, I think you'll appreciate this because uh because of your tv and film writing prowess the first the the addition that they made where they added big old gross slug java to that mm-hmm. scene with han solo in the hangar destroys the reveal in return of the jedi because you've got a new hope you got so he's mentioned i yeah like uh Han Solo says, I got to pay Jabba. So yeah, that's his like, on my head. Yeah. And he's, he's like, I got to. So he leaves, but then up oh, spoiler alert. He swoops in, say, help save the day. Uh, second movie, Empire Strikes Back. Listen, I got to leave. I got to go pay this dude off. I got to go pay this guy Jabba. He mentions him by name. And yeah. we still don't see Jabba. And then in Return of the Jedi, when we're at Jabba's palace, it is like one of the greatest reveals, this giant slug. And I think George Lucas kind of missed his own point 
on on that. Like he kind of ruined and and even if you watch the uh all of the Star Wars movies in chronological order, it, it ruins all of the reveals. By the time you get to the Empire Strikes Back, he, when he's like, I'm your father, it's like, Yeah, I know, yeah. I saw episode three. We got that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's um so on that specific point, to me, it's it's really interesting because that was I understand the urge for that, and at the same time, I'm with you as a fan that feels like it ruins something because that scene that you're talking about where they brought Jabba back in and A New Hope was a scene that was shot, and it was shot with, like, a man as Jabba the Hutt. They hadn't conceived of him yet as being this slug. So, you know, when he walks around behind him and he steps on the tail, they had to digitally do that and all that because they're... And so I get the sense... I I get the urge to be like, hey... This is what um, I wanted to do originally, and I want to put it back in because now I have the ability to do it when I didn't then. Yeah. On the other hand, one of the things that um, you know when you're when you're making a, a movie uh, or a TV show or something, you end up with budget constraints, you end up with technology constraints, and things like that, and you get these creative limitations that force you right. to have to like pivot and figure something out. And a lot of times, some of your best material comes out of the fact that you don't have the capability to do the thing that you initially wanted to. So now you end up like, okay, let me pivot to this, blah, 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 blah. And you get a lot of these happy accidents that happen along the way that are like what you're saying. Now you have two movies of buildup of who Jabba is. We've had this like cloud of Jabba's wrath hanging over Han Solo. And now when we get to the reveal, and we're like, this that slug is like that dangerous crime lord <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a really jarring revelation and you love that um so yeah i think i think one of the big problems um at least from a fan's perspective about the way star wars has been treated has been a lot of like how much can we retcon in the process versus yeah like let those things be what they were because they were masterpieces and just mm-hmm. see if we can build going forward from that. Yeah, and serve those. And I think particularly Boba Fett as a character, just he serves his purpose fully as a character in those movies, I think, because he's like mysterious. He's, he gets brings uh, Han Solo back to Jabba. He's in Return of the Jedi and dies, and then he's done. <laughs> but mm-hmm. now they've got this whole series, The Book of Boba Fett, which, by the way, what do you think about the last two episodes of the Book of Boba Fett being just episodes of The Mandalorian? Do you think that they are um do you think that that now I don't know if this is this goes on, but maybe you have some insight on this. Mm-hmm. Do you think they just jumped to the first two episodes of The Mandalorian in this season or um, um no just, so my understanding is that uh COVID made shooting really difficult for a lot of oh, these things. And my, my guess, I don't, I don't know. I'm not really speaking on their behalf, but just kind of my guess is that they probably weren't able to shoot as much content as they had hoped. Um, so maybe they did as a result, pull some um, Mandalorian because they knew that that was going to be happening later anyway. Um, and that they were filming it and that they had time to, you know, bolster uh, Mandalorian episodes. But I think, I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't appear to me that they finished a full season of Book of Boba Fett and said, okay, let's do this instead. Let's pull the Mandalorian into it because we don't have enough to do or whatever. Like it it, it appears to me as something that probably was a decision that was made along the way. Like, Hey, we're shooting concurrently. We need some stuff because we keep getting shut down for X, Y, Z or whatever. Got you. Got you. Now, what, do you, what do you do in a situation? Like, does the writer's room just have a meltdown? Like, because you got to like... Well, look, the writers, every- there's not really a writer's room for this, right? Like, if you right, look at every Favreau. episode, it's yeah. basically John Favreau, right? So, Filonia. And given that their creative team is super small between uh, Favreau, Filoni, um, Robert Rodriguez and this, you know, I like that they... Brought, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard back in to do some directing. And she, her episode was dope. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, it allows them to be really nimble in this way, and and there's that's something that's really good. It doesn't cost Disney a lot more money to like bring everybody back in and just say, okay, 
we got to rebreak the season. It's just like a handful of people who are already working on that and they're working on Mandalorian and they're working on whatever the next series is they're going to do together. So they just like, okay, well, this is our process. Let's see if we can fix it and just kind of hit the keyboard. Yeah. What I'm what I'm trying to figure out is what the what's the function of this series for Boba Fett? Like coming out of this series, what are we supposed to take away from where Boba Fett is in the galaxy? What role he's going to play in relation to any other characters that we're going to see? Yeah. Like yeah. why why are we interested in that? Well, I've been I've been complaining about it a little bit on the show. Uh, hey, Studio Eight H, welcome. He says, uh, they say, evening Aristotle, evening Evan. Uh, let's hey. just catch up with some. Of, it almost feels like the Book of Boba Fett. The Boba is season three of Luke Cage when Luke took over the club and becomes the mob boss of Harlem, says Is This Will. I think maybe we're underestimating the potential uh, interconnectedness of the story since the show is a direct spinoff and was launched with the final episodes of Mando season two. Um, yeah, well, I yeah, think I guess, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, and and I, they are I would both. They're tr- my bad. I'm talking over you. Go ahead. No, no, no worries. I, I was just gonna say that I feel like they're both shot on the volume stage, so maybe they're like, you know, just both all available in that location. But but go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I, I think there's a point there. It's pretty obvious they're positioning Boba Fett. Like, if you think about how, um, like how Ahsoka has operated so far or kind of what they're doing with Luke, they're kind of trying to like put people in different places in the Mandoverse. Yeah. And I think right now it's, it feels like it's centering uh, the Mandalorian to be able to check in with them and for, for them to be able to come in from time to time. But I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is not for the broader universe, but for Boba Fett himself, like why is this not uh, a 90 minute movie? That's just like he lands on Tatooine, whoops some people's ass. I mean, essentially what he's what we're seeing is an eight episode or whatever, however many episodes, six or whatever it is, um, version of season two, episode one of The Mandalorian, where like he shows <laughs> up, he's the new person, he cleans up the problems in town and gets everybody to play nicely, and then now he's kind of like the big dog. And like so we saw that in one episode of The Mandalorian and this is being stretched out and it's like for what purpose for Boba Fett? Just so he has like a home base where we could come visit him from time to time? Maybe. I mean, I similarly have an issue with that cuz I'm like, all right. Even Luke wanted to get off a of Tatooine. Why are we hanging out in the sand desert dirt planet? Like why are we cuz if you once you have like a guy in Star Wars, who just hangs out in one spot, it just, to me, it's kind of uh, defeats the idea. It's, it's the, it's kind of like Star Trek Deep Space Nine, where Star Trek was all about exploring strange new worlds. And then Deep Space Nine said, we're going to just hang out here where no one can find us. And it's going to be a soap <laughs> opera because we just hang out all day and there's nothing to do. So, I feel like that's kind of the problem with having Boba Fett just in the palace, just walking around in the sand and the dirt all day. And then, but then you cut to Mando, Bryce Dallas Howard's episode, where it's like basically a Mandalorian episode. We're going to different planets. We're going to different cities. We're going to getting all these different vibes that Star Wars provides. Like that's, that's kind of, you know. I don't know. That's that's I mean, what I want. I'm getting from Star Wars. in general. I'm also just getting sand planet fatigue. We had <laughs> so much of you know. I mean, like ultimately, the um, sequels came back down to Tatooine or some other version of a sand planet. I forget exactly where Ray was in the beginning. Um, and we just saw Dune, which we know all of these stories are pulled from or largely inspired by in the first place, which is all about the big sand planet again. And that was the point is last like, night. He's like, George yeah. Lucas is a hack. He just copied Dune. And I'm like, hang on, hang on a second. Hang on. I mean, look, everybody copied Dune. If you if you look at how much influential I mean, it's like it's like Dune, Neuromancer, things like that. 
like the whole range of sci-fi pulls from one or both in different ways. Um, that's just kind of how, how art is, uh, evolved and stories are evolved through genre over time. I'm not really bothered by that, but I'm ready to not be on a sand planet. And that's why these last two episodes were so refreshing. We're like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like I felt like I had to dump the sand out of my own shoes. <laughs> Change of scenery. I'm just like, I always say, Star Wars A New Hope, when I was a little baby child watching that movie, I was like, okay, they got robots, that's dope, but they're just walking around in the sand. When do we, when are the Star Wars? <laughs> and even as a kid, <laughs> yeah. that that part of the movie was kind of slow for me. And um, my, my brothers would be like, no, you got to stay awake, because it was on TV or something. <laughs> like, stay awake, there's a big space battle at the end. And they kept, I fell asleep. I fell asleep. On the same <laughs> I mean, even, even to Star Wars is great, right? Like, Act one is in the sand. Act two is in the Death Star. And then act three is back in the Death Star, but they had just had to go back and visit Yavin 4, right? So, like, we yeah. get, we at least are getting some movement. And here's, I have a question for you, actually. Have you noticed, um, or has it jumped out to you as much as it's jumped out to me, that there's different areas of, and I think it's it's to this point, I think they're aware of it, when they've gone into the cities, the not the not Moss Eisley cities, but I forget whatever the cities are that they're going into that's directly adjacent to yeah. the palace. It it kind of like dips into cyberpunk a little bit. The way yeah. it's like chop like kids on motorcycles and there's like their glasses and stuff. I'm like, whoa, like where are we now? I'm so confused. Hundred percent. That's what I was getting. I was getting some like um non-star wars vibes from that like some of the kids did you know and they just put like a thing on their ear like a piece of metal now you're a star wars character and they've got all <laughs> these kind of modern care modern haircuts that you would just see on the street today which i guess star wars had in the 70s but yeah it was then it was 70s fashion yeah so it's it's kind of does jump out at me as incongruous with what we've seen in star wars and it does kind of take me out a little bit like they're trying to update it like they're trying to update Star Wars, which is kind of timeless, and the whole idea is to have it be of no time. Um, so See, I wouldn't that, mind it if it was in a different location that hadn't already been established. Like if you go to, right. I don't know, the undercity of Coruscant that we've never seen, and we want to explicitly juxtapose that or contrast that to, you know, what we've seen with the senators and the Jedi temple and everybody who's on the top and be like, Oh, down here it's cyberpunky or whatever. Like I, I get that, that kind of switch or if it's a completely different planet or something like that. But when it's, yeah. you know, yeah. everything we, we've seen Tatooine in like 1900 movies and now we're like, <laughs> Oh, but it's a little different and uh, around the corner on that block. And, right. Like we never saw it before. Suddenly. Yeah. There's like all these cyberpunk. It's like, this is, this is a planet that has literal moisture evaporators because it is so arid there that they have to yeah. try to suck water out of the air. And then we have a whole group of people whose livelihood and aesthetic does not match that. 100%. 100%. And that's, I mean, I I can only imagine that, like, well, as someone who does acting, that is something that I kind of think about. But when you're writing, you know, you're like, You've got to think of all of those factors. You got to put all of those things together. Like, what is this place? What do you, how how do you live in this place? Um, like, so tell me a little bit about that that uh, process when you're when you're coming up with. Well, you know, it's so for me. Uh, there's a lot of that too because depending on what I'm working on, right? Like, you're always trying to balance a few things, and maybe this is uh, what's going on there. And uh, I think ultimately no matter what they do, they're going to have some resistance from us as long time Star Wars fans, because, you know, as, as fans of some, when you're a fan of something so long, you're a part of a community of a fan base like that, you tend to um, take some ownership over it. And so mm -hmm. you kind of feel like, you know, the right way it's supposed to be done and, and no one else does. But, you know, when you're, when you're writing, you're juggling a lot of things. Uh, story should come first, typically. Um, but you're also trying to make it relevant to the moment. You're trying to make it something that uh, I imagine with something like this is approachable to people who aren't 30 years deep in Star Wars, right? Like you should be able to kind of come in 
fresh and say, oh, I have my way into this. And I imagine also, just based on what we were saying about it being 70s, I'm sure they're intentionally trying to modernize in a way that hopefully will carry them forward in the future. Um, right. So stuff like that, I mean, that that's a tough collection of things to juggle to try to make uh, really amazing work out of. And I think, you know, it's not, this isn't to say that everything that they've done on these shows or even on Boba Fett has been uh, a negative thing. It's just there are a few stumbling blocks that you know I've had that you've had and other people have had. But the series isn't over. I'm curious to see where it's going to go. Um, well, yeah, we're going to have that just... watch party tomorrow. We have <laughs> yeah, got we... the the season finale watch party for Boba Fett at 6 p.m. Uh, Christina Hooks says yeah, just a quick shout out to Bryce Dallas Howard. I love seeing her name at the end of the great of a great episode. Yeah, she. I think the three episodes of. <laughs> Of, <laughs> Christiana, sorry, my bad. Um, I don't know if I said that correctly, but yeah, That's her three good. episodes got uh, eventually got better and better. Uh, as, yeah, as she's gone, like the first episode in the first season, pretty good. Second episode she did amazing. This last episode she did two weeks ago, fantastic, s- s- fantastic. I just was like, this is the best episode of the Mandalorian, and it's the Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, let's see. So Isis Will says it was a black market cyber surgery hideout and it is all three films and X years removed from a new hope on a planet that already had land speeders and weird animals in jazz bands with laser blasters and flight suits. Yeah, yeah. Like so, you know, we've gotten a taste of the aesthetic. Um I mean it feels it does feel like they're trying to update it a little bit and it kind of does you know, suddenly you've got, like you said, people that don't really match the surroundings of what's going on. Uh, well, it's also tricky because we, when you're telling stories that are in between, right? Like we know what happens before and we know what happens after. So there's actually not a ton of room to maneuver to try to, because like the aesthetic in, in the sequels isn't too different than it is in the originals. Mm. Yeah. Just like, like even bringing it's so funny bringing the Naboo starfighter in um, for for Mando was like oh shit like does this fit right now because it's a, it's a little yeah. different look but at least that's kind of of a past era at the same time but it doesn't either way the, the stuff that we're seeing in this show some of the stuff we're seeing in the show stuff we've never seen that's something that's really cool. And some of it is a little harder to tangle with because, and I, I just think it's specifically because it's in places that are so familiar to us and not in new places where we're going to open our minds up a little more, at least for me. I, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the Naboo, um, jet, the starship that they converted so that it's now his, but you notice what they did to it. They dirtied it up and they made it star mm-hmm. wars <laughs> they made it you know more like the 70s star wars than not yeah. the 90s star wars so that that is interesting also you said something about how you want to sort of make you know new shows and new work that is of its time in a way there was something about the pre- the one thing i liked about the prequels or at least revenge of the sith george lucas was doing that classic sci-fi thing where he's like i am going to reference modern culture in this movie, mm-hmm. I'm going to do like an allusion toward what's going on in the real world, which is, I think, what a lot of great sci-fi does. It just it kind of makes you see everything that's going on around you in a different through a different lens. And that's how do you feel like the Book of Boba Fett and Mandalorian are doing? Do you think that they're sort of up their own a ASSs <laughs> like with the no, story? I just don't. Or are they referencing? like modern culture in any way? I don't think that because of the scale we're operating on, right? So I I thought that like season two, episode one of the Mandalorian was kind of what we were talking about in referencing that, that Clint Eastwood era film. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that with these television shows specifically, just by the nature of them being television shows, we 
are going to spend more time with just the characters and what they're going through and what their relationships are. There's some yeah. things that are kind of, you know, that they, like they could tell stories, but because they're telling them episodically, right. You know, the, the arc of the se- uh, season is the character story. Right. And then episodically it's like, Oh, I helped these people. I helped these people. I found this thing. I slayed this beast, whatever it was. Right. And they slowly yeah, move I think that makes it difficult. Arc. That makes it a little more difficult to do kind of grander commentaries larger society just because you're 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 shrinking the amount of time you have unless you wanted to make the whole season of it. Uh, yeah. whereas like with a movie a lot of times especially an epic sci-fi piece that this isn't i don't think these are going too hard sci-fi and i'm not yeah. saying that as a critique i'm saying that because they've leaned so hard on these western themes and stuff like that they're actually grounding the series a lot. and they're fantasy they're fantasy I would I would categorize all of Star Wars as fantasy. That just yeah. has a different backdrop. Um, you know, people. Sure. You know, like Game of Thrones <laughs> has a different backdrop, and it's it's all fantasy. <laughs> but let's see, what do we got here in the comments regarding cyber, cyberpunk and Star Wars? We get in Empire Strikes Back the retroactively and retroactively in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. With Luke, Anakin, and random aliens and Empire forces, and then Nada. Uh, yes, I, I'm I do. Not sure rec- what you're referencing, honestly. Like, where is the cyberpunk in Empire? I do. Yeah, I don't remember the cyberpunk in, in Empire, but I am remembering a scene, and which was a funny scene. I in, enjoyed it. It might have been an Attack of the Clones, where the character, the actor who was in the Matrix. Who played Mouse? I think he's like, uh, "Would you like some death sticks?" And then Obi Wan's like, oh, yeah. "You're gonna go home and you rethink your life." He's like, "I'm gonna go home and rethink my life." That, that was kind of a really funny. That's hilarious. Uh, that <laughs> yeah. that scene did have kind of like this, like more modern looking uh, attire going on, like costumeage. So sure, maybe that, but I, I don't know. Uh, oh, it felt like cybernetics were completely ditched in episodes seven through nine. They're saying, "Oh, so you're saying like literal, actual cybernetics?" And um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah, interesting. I actually didn't make that observation. That that uh, yeah, like they didn't give Kylo Ren a robotic arm or anything no one like got that. that. Yeah, interesting. Now we were talking about Zendaya and how she's oh, yes. fantastic. And and uh, and I saw the Spider-Man movie three times in the theater. I loved it in every way. It seems like such a challenge, and and Zendaya is incredible in it. She's like, I was just like, she is so good in this dang, dang movie. Uh, it's now now that challenge. Spoilers, guys. Spoilers, spoilers. All <laughs> no. the spoilers for Spider-Man yeah. No Way Home. <laughs> it's the biggest movie in the world. If you haven't seen it yet, come on now. Uh, like oh hey Jude at IT Hank Green did a video on why he thinks Star Wars can't be considered can't be considered fantasy I'll put it in the discord later yes I want to see that Hank Green's an interesting guy he's got some cool thoughts um now you, you saw Spider-Man's I'll call Three times it. in the theaters okay, there you go so jinx uh, <laughs> now how inc- like to me that was like a triumph in making you know i think will has a differing opinion on all quote all of the things mattering to me i was like there's 20 years of spider-man now in on the screen and to me the writing was all of the characters had a reason to be there in the way that they set it up and Mm -hmm. i love that they made everything count in my opinion they made everything count they just were like Yep, that all counts. All going back to your childhood from watching 2002 Spider-Man to now. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't Star Wars do that? <laughs> <laughs> Man, look the the answer is really how come nobody can do what Marvel can do? Because if you think yeah. about it, while while this specific movie was about tying together, you know, five other movies, six other movies, whatever it was seven other movies uh, into this one and planning for future ones 
and like you said making you feel that every character that's in this movie is a realized a fully realized character and not just like a cheap cameo yeah they've been doing that marvel's been doing that over the course of their series now for over 10 years and like <clears throat> say what you will about I mean, it's not that Marvel's beyond critique. You know, there's the Marvel yeah. third act thing that everybody talks about. There are some movies that hit better than others. But the sum total of what they've been able to achieve and weave these characters in and out and have them grow between films and tell a story that feels like it makes sense and is building towards something, it's like mm-hmm. nothing else ever seen in cinema. Um, so, uh, you know, it's to me, it's not just how come how come no one else can tell this story? It's like, it's almost like it's un- an unachievable goal that no one else can do it. It's amazing. Like I walked into this movie thinking, uh, kind of, kind of just like ah, another nostalgia bait movie. I don't know if I'm going to be excited. This was just like in tears. It was yeah. so good. It was so much fun. And like, I, I, I am, those are the types of movies that I walk out of just super happy and hopeful. And I'm just mm. like, that is the thing that I aspire to be able to do some point in my career. I want to do something that good. Like that's what drives me to the movies. Got you. Yeah. That's exactly, you know, sitting in that movie theater experience, I got to see it at uh, TCL on IMAX at the Chinese theater. And I was that crowd was just so raucous off off the hook just so (laughs) losing their minds and i was like this is why i go to the movies to see and experience a movie like this um with all of that um with just all of that drama and everything mattered everything counted all the acting was great i mean how good was green goblin getting his due because you've got willem dafoe an incredible actor with an interesting look perfect casting Mm -hmm. for the character getting to show his face because they had the big dumb mask in the first movie (laughs) and uh, we're we're done with that (laughs) we're literally going to just smash the mask and it's going to be we're going to get to see green goblin's face um it's um it, it was amazing to me because it's a movie where most of the other movies that you get really excited about that have been really good especially even in the marvel uh universe uh, have had a really distinct villain on the backside mm-hmm. of it that have carried it along the way. You think about how great Killmonger was in Black Panther. You think about how fantastic it was seeing Thanos develop through multiple movies and then show up in Infinity War and just be like, oh, this is what we're going up against. Yeah. And No Way Home managed to do this kind of with playing shuffle, you know, shuffleboard or whatever with who the actual villain is, right? Mm-hmm. Like for the first half of the movie, it's just Peter fucked up and he's just trying to fix his mistake. And you just feel for him because you see the stakes of how he spread everybody's lives in the process. And then it's like, oh, we got to watch out for Jamie Foxx. He might mess around. Oh, we got to watch out for Doc Ock. He's got to mess around. And they're playing mm-hmm. this like, hide the villain. Who's the villain? Who's the villain? Blah, 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 right? And then when you know you get the reveal again that Green Goblin's been kind of just, just biding his time and hiding for a little bit to ultimately like want to take over with that being one, the first villain that we had in the Toby movies, um, but two being somebody that kind of appears as the villain late in the movie. It's, it's pretty mm-hmm. insane that that movie was still as good as it was very often. You're just, if you don't know who the villain is or what the real like force of evil is, okay, yeah, you can be yeah. you can be kind of lost and lose stakes. But they managed to do it, and be, especially because it was somebody that you were cheering for. You wanted to see Green Goblin after all this time go right and have his relationship with Toby get worked out and everything. They, like they knew how to tug the exact emotional cords that you were bringing. Right. Into. You know what I was really imp- that's an interesting take. You know what I was really impressed with. Um, you know, interesting takeaway from the movie uh, was that in the midpoint, we get two more Spider-Men, basically, or past the <laughs> midpoint. So, and then they have a full mini arc, <laughs> but it's also yeah. an arc that goes back all the way 20 years, goes back all the way 10 years. And you're like, dang, this is satisfying things we thought about, wondered about where things were headed in their movies. And I yeah. was just, 
incredibly impressed with how they were able to just succinctly do that in, in half a movie. It's amazing. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that why I love Empire Strikes Back kind of to quickly go back on Star Wars so much is the reveal that Luke uh, or that Vader is Luke's father is super interesting because it recontextualizes not just that moment, but the previous film too. Mm. And this is exactly what you're talking about. We're, we're talking mm -hmm. about being able to have moments, uh, character achievements, things that don't retcon necessarily the things that had happened before, but build on it to bring us right. this extra level of satisfaction. And like, that's the thing that I want out of star Wars going forward. Right. hundred percent. I don't want, um, as much retconning. I don't want you to try to tell me like, Hey, I know you thought it was this thing, but it's actually this other thing. I want like earned character achievements and earned moments that give me uh, exciting new feelings going forward based on what I already know. Yes. And that is, that's the trick. That is the thing, you know, you said in empire, now we've built on what we already know. And now there's this huge reveal is spoiler alert. <laughs> okay. There's Darth Vader. There's Luke Skywalker's father. <laughs> I'm just going to let you know that now. Uh, but that's the the trick that is really the ultimate trick is to sh to give us new information that recontextualizes everything we know about what we thought we knew <laughs> and that the star wars movies each do that in a in several ways also about they recontextualize how we think the force works each movie mm -hmm. each movie it shows us another angle of the force and that's I think through all nine movies, technically. Um, and that was always something that I always looked forward to. to. Like, I mean, I freaking loved that reveal in episode eight. I thought it was as good as a reveal as any in any Star Wars movie when Luke wasn't there. <laughs> Luke yeah. was projecting himself. That, to me, is what it's all about. It's like recontextualizing the entire the entirety of the show. I don't know if Mando or Boba Fett is doing that <laughs> in any way. I don't, I don't think either of them. I mean, Mando, a I don't little know bit that they are, but they're, they are adding depth to the lore of star Wars. Like that's, what's True. really exciting about it. Right. Like Mandalorian to me is super fun because instead of seeing what happens that's deciding the fate of the galaxy, we're seeing these kind of micro stories that are about like actual people's lives and just like the stakes that matter to people who aren't in the galactic Senate. Mm. In, you know, they look up and they see those battles. They're not in those battles. True. And, and that's, there's something to be said about that. That's, that is also going on in that universe where, you know, there are there are the smaller, not lower stakes, but I mean, you got to make it compelling. You got to make it compelling. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and Boba Fett is not as compelling as I would like it to be. Cause it's like, you're saying like, what do we do with Boba Fett? How do we, what, what would you do with Boba Fett as far as trying to be like, it's like Evan, we got a oh, series. <laughs> People seem to love the toy Boba Fett. We want to make it a show. We want to make six episodes. How would you bring us a new context for Boba? Well, it's tough because You're so there's, the there's kind of two things going on here. One, we already have the Mandalorian that has played with the Bounty Hunters Guild and like what the Mando, uh, the Mandalorian culture is about and all that. And we're, we're intentionally trying to distinguish from that. But two we're using the same actor from the prequels and uh, as fantastic as I think he is as, as an actor in this role, he's not like, it's not going to be believable for, ha for him to do necessarily the action scenes that uh, we were going to get. If we had somebody who was 30 years old and in, you know, super fit condition or whatever. Um, I guess, I guess my only, like my real hang up is why does, 
Boba Fett was a man who lived in a ship who answered really to nobody. I know they're chain, they're they're, they're kind of retconning that, like oh, we were subject to the whims of blah 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 blah. But Boba Fett was the guy who charged whatever he wanted because he knew he was going to get it done, and, and the most wealthy people in the galaxy pay him to do his job. So, it, like, there wasn't a sense in the movies that he was beholden to anybody. Like you said, he literally yeah. talks back to Darth Vader and is like, he's mm-hmm. no good to be dead. And, like, no yeah. one else would talk to Vader like that. <laughs> that's true. But Vader, um, I guess, respects his abilities. So that's exactly. why he, let, he didn't force choke him to death. <laughs> so I don't understand why he's interested in this city planet on the outer rim as his, like, Mar-a-Lago retirement. Uh, like when he has essentially the whole galaxy at his fingertips, I, I'm like that's part of it. Like I, I'd be interested in if there was a power struggle in the bounty hunter guild, and he had to navigate through that. That'd be something that'd be interesting to me. Um, you know, to kind of it, if he's doing what he's talking about, to kind of like reshape the way business is done. But I mean, it, it, it's tough because he's. He's saying that he wants to reshape the way bounty hunters are treated. And so, like, now he's got to be a boss. But he's also worried about taking care of his little local community and making sure that everybody more or less acts morally. Um, Mm. And he's protecting them from other people. It's just like it's not – one of the comments earlier, I think it was, is this Will, but I'm not sure, was that he was kind of the Tony Soprano. But I didn't – and maybe we're we're just way too early in what the book of Boba Fett's gonna be, but I'm not seeing the soprano in it. Like I'm not seeing yeah. the interest in the power more mm-hmm. than the interest in being kind of left alone from people. And you're just kinda like, look, we're just gonna do our good thing over here, like let us be. And that's a different thing from you know, I'm ready to be the mob boss and I gotta make these power plays and sometimes people gotta get hurt to do it. You know, he's he, he such a good guy now he's such a good guy right now um it feels yeah. like he just is not in the right profession anymore if he's trying to be a crime lord right there isn't you would think that boba fett would be sort of like a breaking bad type of character where he's you know we don't really fully agree with his methods mm-hmm. uh but somehow we identify with his plight like somehow we we are on board with where he's going but they, I don't know if they're really doing that. He's just kind of walking around town and, and trying to make deals, I guess. So that's <laughs> why I'm interested in what like what he's going to be coming out of this, right? Because if he's the new Jabba the Hutt coming out of this and his little section of Tatooine is, you know, cool and, and, and mellow and under control, how is that useful for the Mandalorian? Or how is that going to be useful for Ahsoka or Obi-Wan or whoever else comes through there next? Is it yeah. just going to be to have a cool person sitting in that seat when you have like the cameo episode that dips into Tatooine, or uh, is there going to be a, a more useful function to that? True. Well, what what are you looking forward to as far as Star Wars and just cinema TV in general? Is there something coming up this year that you're excited to see? Is there like this? You know, it doesn't even have to be a franchise. It's like a any type of film or or anything. Um, well, let's see. Star Wars, I'm pumped for Ahsoka and for Obi-Wan. I mean, look, as much as I'm critiquing Boba Fett, I'll literally watch 10 more seasons of it. I just love Star Wars enough that I'll hate watch anything if it says Star Wars on it. Um, Disney's banking on that. Yeah, they are. And they know. They know. Like, I'm I'm their audience who's going to have all that. So I'm, I'm pumped with it. But, um, yeah, I think Ahsoka can be really fun. I'm really interested in exploring the perspective of somebody who uh, saw that the Jedi order was kind of to stick up their ass and too tight about things and decided to leave, which is frankly why it was interesting to me in this last episode with Luke and Grogu that Luke who saw like how his father became because the Jedi were like, you're not allowed to have any emotional connections to anybody. Yeah. Like why he's imposing that upon, um, continuing that tradition that upon Grogu. Yeah. Like, he, yeah, it feels like he'd be smarter than that and be like, yeah, we got to mix it up a little bit. 
But again, yeah. we got to know, we, we know where it's heading, right? We know that he's going to try to kill Ben Solo and do all that yeah. and have his thing. Right. So yeah. he can't actually grow in a way that makes sense. But um, Ahsoka did that. Like, that's already established canon that she did that in the animated series. So um, I'm, I'm pumped to see that. And mm. movie-wise, I just I can't wait for Top Gun to come out, man. I've been waiting two years for this movie. To I know come it's, out. A, just like, it's like a year late or two years late. I think the release. Just like, right? please, that, one. <laughs> that looks good. I saw the preview uh, in IMAX a couple weeks ago, and I was like, "Dang!" Oh, I, mean, I just can't wait, can't wait. And look, you know, fun. Tom Cruise is gonna come correct with his stunts. Nobody does stunts like him. In Incredible. fact, there's um, there's a podcast called meeting tom cruise i believe where the hosts literally just interview other people who have met tom cruise and they talk <laughs> about their experiences it's hilarious um yeah. but they talk with uh jay ellis who's one of the pilots in it he was on insecure and uh he was saying that they did so much training all the actors did so much flight training that mm. they basically qualified to get their pilot's license and wow. so as a gift from Tom, he basically paid for all of them to get their license. And all they would have to do is literally just like go do that final like written test or whatever. And they have their license. That's pretty that's that's out of control. That's, that's crazy. Cool. That's pretty cool. I love how Tom Cruise is like, hey, I'm gonna hang off the side of this plane and it's gonna lift off uh the runway, and everybody's like, Okay, cool. Uh you don't have to though. And he's like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Everybody's just like, all yeah. right. But that's the thing about Tom Cruise. It's like, when you see him doing a thing in the movie, you know, he's doing it. That's his brand. Now that's his, his style. He seems to, he's a fearless dude. Apparently. <laughs> no doubt. Other than that. So I'm pumped uh, for that. Um, yeah. I'm pumped for Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. I mean, mm. I, I keep wondering where we're going to hit like, peak superhero movie saturation and everyone's yeah. getting over it but they're these movies are getting so good like you want to walk in on board and then you're just like oh it's actually this is actually really good so i can't hate this but uh into the spider verse was amazing so like i'm happy to see more of that yeah that, how do you feel about the batman i'm stoked i hear it's um it's gonna be like 40 hours long but it's got 15 <laughs> <Yes>. villains <laughs> But, you know, I was just looking at Robert Pattinson and his approach and uh, his look. And it's a, it's a real good it, it, it's a real good match. It's all feels very like it's all working visually. Um, so I don't like so we had the Christian Bale, uh, mm -hmm. real world Batman feeling, you know, that with the with some grit. Then you've got the hyper real hyper masculine super muscular ben affleck batman uh and now you've got what are what are what's the take on this what are we going to go back to street level like even lower street level mm -hmm. than than dark knight yeah i don't i don't know i mean i've heard people say that it's uh the noir version of batman but i think batman's always had an element of noir and i think the christian yeah. bale movies uh play with with noir tropes and things like that the detective. Um, I, yeah, I'm interested in seeing like a real detective story in yeah. the way that the movies haven't really played with um, too much lately. Not we'll see a, if that's it. Not a taking a bullet fragment from the wall and somehow getting a fingerprint off of that. Christopher Nolan, that's the dumbest idea ever. What the hell was that? Hopefully I still can't actually track that scene because he goes, <laughs> so he takes the actual brick from the wall. I, I assume that's that includes the bullet in it, but the bullet's in complete fragments. <laughs> yeah. So he shoots know. a similar gun into another wall to find a matching pattern. I guess so he knows how to reassemble the bullet. Ladies and gentlemen, feels like, after like 15 years, Evan is going to try to explain that scene that makes no sense. <laughs> In the Dark Knight, which is one of the greatest comic book movies ever, of all uh, time, of all yeah. time. I mean, look, that I honestly—that's the scene. I'm just like, okay, so he does that. Just we get it. He gets yeah. fingerprints somehow. We got to move on after uh, that. We'd be like, okay, he figured something only Batman can figure, 
Uh, so mm-hmm. I guess, but uh, you know, I am looking forward to Robert Pattinson doing like actual detective work and then bringing him in and he's got to find the clues and you've got the Riddler. So the Riddler <laughs> in a different, different version of the Riddler. And I want to see that, uh, seven version of the Riddler. You know what I'm saying? The, the Kevin, yeah. So that would be dark. That'd be interesting. <laughs> and dark night, so to speak, but it would be, I'm, I am looking forward to it. I'm really, as it gets, as it approaches, and the more and more posters I see, the more and more stoked I'm getting for that. Um, but we I just have. don't want to see it. So they, you notice that over the course of the marketing campaign, they changed kind of the the tone of it, right? The beginning was all about how he is hyper brutal, hyper violent, this unleashed anger that he is just beating regular citizens yeah. to a pulp. And mm-hmm. I was just completely not interested in that at all. It's like, I just don't need yeah. to see some rich guy like work out his anger issues on the dude who just like robbed this liquor store. Like, I don't, I don't need that. Yeah. Um, and then now they're really leaning into this idea of the Riddler being like the Zodiac killers right. and being like, this dude you have to work super hard to track down and is this mastermind and that like, it'd be fun to see that because I want to see, I, I do want to see, I want to see the Batman story where he actively really has to match wits with somebody. Yes. And that's the one that like, you know, the dark Knight was really interesting because Joker was on a rampage, but Joker is like explicitly the person that is unpredictable. So you're not necessarily playing a game of wits as much as like Batman had to get out of his own way to just like, okay, I can't explain Joker. I got to come at this from a different angle. That's one thing. But when you're playing the the chess game where literally every time a piece gets knocked off of a table, like a citizen dies mm. and you're having to aggressively match wits or something like that, like that's super entertaining to me. And I, I hope that's what this movie delivers. That is a great premise. That That is a great, exciting way to... to there are stakes. Someone's going to die and it's going to be your fault, Batman. <laughs> you know, he's going to take that on for sure. <clears throat> and I hope it's people that, you know, we meet and love and are excited about, you know, like let us lose some people that matter and not just right. random citizens or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Cause we're going to be hanging with these characters for the next seven or eight years, probably. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Um, yeah. So remind us again where we can find you and what, what you got going on. Oh man. Uh, I mean, look, I'm, I'm on all the socials at Evanistics. If you want to follow me on Instagram or by the way, your, your trophy is displayed proudly right here. (laughs) Evan won, (laughs) uh, trivia last week and he's got his name on the trophy was, uh, heroes this week. We're going to do trivia on Thursday as we always do. And it's going to be villains. So like tune in for that. Um, so what else, what's going on? So you're busy. You're running around town. Yeah, so I mean, look, right now, if there's anything I would say, check out Colin in Black and White if you haven't. I really enjoyed working on that show. And right now, I'm just looking for the next gig. So hopefully, I'll have some good news soon, taking a few meetings and, you know, just waiting to get some calls back. Yeah, well, when you do, let us know for sure, because, you know, we wish you the best of luck on that. And, you know, that's this town, that's the hustle, man. You know, I'm between jobs. I've got, I've got some in between, like that's how it is it's just like i feel like i'm in between jobs more than i'm working and it's crazy because when you're in between jobs and you got to hustle you're working every day yeah. <laughs> you're working every day all day and, and that's i mean i know i am and i know as a writer like are you working on anything that you're developing on your own or is there you got projects yeah. on the burners yeah yeah so you know i'm um hopefully i'll be starting a feature soon i'm trying to like get with one of my buddies to see if we're, if we can line up on an idea to work together, but like I'm developing a pilot right now. So I've spent, you know, you spend all this time of unpaid work with the hope that you're going to sell it to somebody and get paid on the tail end. Right. So it's really interesting when you think about how much, um, you know, like what our pay rate is and whatever. And it's very, because it's so backloaded, at least for these types of, uh, of ventures, it's look, I'm not saying we don't get paid better than like most 
regular jobs. That is very true. I'm very right. thankful for that. Um, but it's, there's like the amount of work that you put in before the actual paycheck comes is a ton. Yeah. Um, and like, those are just hours that you can't even count. I've been working on this for the last year of the mm-hmm. pandemic, trying to get, get things right, get pitch materials together, you know, working on my drafts. And it's just like in the hopes that somebody gets as hyped about right. it as I do to purchase it. So, but that's the love of the game, right? <laughs> that's the, <Yeah>. that's, it's, <laughs> that's, that's totally I mean, I'm right. not going to say I wouldn't have it any other way. Cause I, I wouldn't mind being paid to develop my own ideas, <laughs> right. but it's a uh, like spec I not paychecks. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, Evan, that's it's awesome as always to hang out with you on the air on Aristotle. Yes, sir. And uh, yeah, it, really cool takes on on Boba Fett and Mando and Star Wars and Spider Man. Uh, if you guys want to follow him, you can follow him at Evanistics, and uh, you can check out this as a podcast if you tuned in late. It's going to be up on uh, Spotify tomorrow, so check it out and also other platforms wherever you get po- podcasts. Wherever you get your podcast, it's going to be there. All right, well, you have a great night, man, and I uh, hope to see you on Thursday in the chat playing some more. See if you could maintain your title as trivia champion. Uh, I'm gonna right do here. my best. I want to. I want to <laughs> hold on to this trophy. Yeah, man, I love talking to you. So we're gonna we're gonna have to make this happen again very soon. Hundred percent. All right. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Thanks, Evan.